In the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, one God, Amen. So I think um, what I'm hoping to do until we figure out whether servants' pra- training will be part of Vespers or not, we'll do once a month, as we said, Q&A, and then once a month will be like a, a spiritual topic, and then twice a month we'll do um, Bible study, um, so we can have a little bit of organization to it. So before we start doing Bible study, I just wanted to... As a review, um, go over um, just a method of reading the Bible, like of how to benefit from reading the Bible, because many of us read it but don't really know how to um, live it or apply it. So what I'm going to go through is very, very basic. Um, if you want the meaty, like heavy stuff, I recommend um, Abuna Method Meskin, Father Matthew the Poor. Um, there's an article in English, it's a little booklet called How to Read the Bible, um, that's available, I can send it out to the congregation or maybe in the newsletter, um, would be a good one to include, um, where he goes into it much deeper. So I want to just kind of go from the bird's eye of how to approach the text and what to do with it. Um, I'll start with a quote from St. John Chrysostom, um, of just how, of, of what was in his mind when he reads the Bible, and then we'll just go into um, how to how to get into it, especially if we haven't for a while. St. John says, I exhort you, I encourage you, and I will not stop encouraging you to pay attention not only to what is said here, but when you are home also, you should occupy yourselves attentively with the reading of the Holy Scriptures. Let no one say to me such cold words worthy of judgment as these, I am busy with my issues, I have obligations in the city, I have a wife, I have to feed my children, and it is my du- it is not my duty to read the scripture, but the duty of those who have renounced everything, the monks and the celibates. Um, what are you saying? Question mark, exclamation mark. Um, it is not your duty to read scripture because you're distracted by numeral cares. Rather, on the contrary, it is your duty more than those others, more than the monks. They do not have such need of help as, as do you who live in the midst of such cares. You need treatment all the more because you are constantly under such blows and are wounded so often. The reading of Scripture is a great defense against sin. Ignorance of the Scripture is a great misfortune, a great abyss. Not to know anything from the Word of God is a disaster. This is what has given rise to heresies, to immorality. It has turned everything upside down. This is St. John Chrysostom. So... In order for us to talk about um, the Bible, I just want to go through some background things, um, and then we'll leave it with that. Um, first of all, is you need to know what the Bible is and what the Bible is not, um, because a lot of people approach the Bible not really sure what it is, and so people treat it wrongly, and this is one of the reasons why society often has a problem with the Bible. Um, the Bible isn't a historical textbook. The Bible isn't a science textbook. The Bible is not claiming to be any of those things. So even if there is history in the Bible, and even if there might be something scientific in the Bible, this is not what the Bible is. So, for example, um, I've, like one person wrote to me before, very upset, that the first chapter of Genesis says, the Lord made those two great lights, the sun and the moon. And he said, well, clearly, from the first chapter of your Bible, 
there's a monumental mistake because the moon isn't a light, the moon is a rock, right? And so if I'm claiming that the Bible is a scientific book, then I have a problem, right? Because now, like my book did con like contradict science and now we have an issue, right? But we're not making that claim, right? But the Bible, the author is using what most people would say, which is that the moon is a light. Not many people will say I'm walking by the light that is coming from the moon, which is really reflected from the sun by this body of rock that we call the moon, right? Nobody goes through that process. We say we're walking by moonlight, right? We're still say things like the sun sets and the sun rises, even though the sun is not setting or rising, right? It's the earth that's moving. So we need to understand um, what it is. In the same way that, let's say I personally decided to keep a journal, okay, of my own life, Okay, and if in my own journal of my own life that I've written for myself, if that's the objective of my book, right, then I'm only writing things that are relevant to me. I'm only writing things as how I see them. If I were, for example, to mention in my journal that, I don't know, that President Kennedy got assassinated today, okay, or that, I don't know, ISIS lost Mosul in Iraq, the, the battle there. If someone were to read my journal... 20, 30 years from now, and like, oh, there's history in it, right? And say, well, then now I'm going to evaluate this book historically, they'd be mistaken. I might have gone the day wrong. Maybe I heard about the assassination five days late, and I wrote it down that day, and I didn't know what happened earlier. It might be that what happened in Iraq was a rumor, and it wasn't really true. But the point is that if somebody were to take my book and use it not the way that I intended, they're going to draw up wrong conclusions and they're going to assess it wrongly and tear apart the book because they're using it um, incorrectly. So what the Bible is, is the story of our relationship between God and humanity, His revelation to humanity over all of history. That's the whole point of the Bible, right? Is that we're not trying to record specific documents. Nobody was saying, here's, when they wrote the book of Kings, they were writing it as a record for the people to know the story of their relationship as a nation of Israel with their God and what went right and what went wrong, right? They weren't instructed by God of, hey, take this book and, and write down all these things. So the Bible is a story of our relationship between God and humanity. It's the mind of God as revealed to us in time and space, okay? It's, it's where God has exited. He hasn't completely left it, but where God entered into time and space where we can interact with him so that we have a record of who he is and what he's like and what he wants from us and what the purpose of creation is. So that's the first thing, is, is what the Bible is. The second is um, to understand the context um, in which the Bible is written, in which book, in what letter, what was the context in which it was written. As you get more comfortable with the Bible and start to understand the tradition of the Bible, where it comes from, um, you'll learn how to be properly... Um, critical in your um, in your thinking. And I'm saying this because sometimes a person will hear or read a verse that troubles them, right? Often people who challenge the faith will be like, well, you have a verse in your Bible that says, and then they'll bring something that's supposed to be scandalous um, to say out loud, right? But they're, they're pulling out a verse completely out of context, Right, so like the analogy I like to use is, I, if some dad in the church is screaming at his kid, 
and I have righteous indignation of how dare this dad yell at his kid, and I walk up to him and be like, you shouldn't talk like that, how dare you, blah, 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 blah. And then if the dad were to say to me, you have no idea like what really just happened, right? You have no idea that my son just did X, Y, and Z, and that he's actually been doing this for five years. And I've tried talking, and I've tried tub-tubbing and, and patting on the back. I've tried yelling, I've tried hugging, I've tried this, I've tried, and none of it's working. This is what I'm doing right now to discipline, right? So if I jump in the middle with my tiny second of interaction, and judge a scenario, I'm actually interrupting a conversation, and I'm judging without knowledge, right? So you need to make sure that when you read a text, you know what is the context in which is it is it's written. Where is this story happening in the history of the economy? Where is this story happening in the history of God's relationship um, with all of humanity? These are the things that we need to know. And the third is to understand what inspiration means in the Orthodox Church. Um, unlike other religions, we don't believe that the Bible is ever dictated by an angel or God, right? So in, in, in Islam, for example, the Quran is dictated, right? And so if there's a mistake in it, it's to claim that God made a mistake because he said it, okay? So this is, this is one extreme, okay? Then there's another extreme that I received in another denomination seminary um, where the professor... Um, who was also the dean, was teaching that the Bible is at best um, a model of a nice relationship with God. So we're in neither of these extremes. What we believe is that God is incarnate, okay, just as God is incarnate in, in, in the flesh, He's incarnate in the scriptures, is that He took what is humanly and raised it up. So a normal human is writing, Okay, a normal person is, is, is reflecting and writing and may or may not even know when the Holy Spirit um, is giving him something. Obviously, there's exceptions to this when the prophets are having a prophecy. They know that they're having a prophecy, right? But King David, for example, when he's writing his poems, may not have always known when he was writing something that was um, prophetic or not. There are other times where he might have. Um, but God is, is working, he's giving to humanity, um, and he's working through men and, and, and even women in a couple of books in their own state as they were in their human flesh. So to us, inspiration is about a person writing, and the Holy Spirit is invisibly guiding the person and working through them, and this is important, because the people writing were simply being themselves um, and might not have known. And the scriptures constitute a coherent whole. Okay, they're divinely inspired and humanly expressed is the perfect way to, to summarize it, right? Is that, that God is inspiring it and a human is expressing it. And this is extremely, extremely important because even within the Orthodox tradition today, we're often approaching our Bible in a very Protestant way. Um, and when I use, again, the words of other denominations, I'm not attacking other denominations. It's just for the comparison. Because our context is very different. In the Protestant tradition... The context of the Protestants is that they're coming out of a church that they believed was very corrupt, right? And so the church has always seen the authority of dogma, the authority of teachings to come from three places. Tradition, okay, capital E tradition, the, the fathers, the liturgy, and scripture. When the Protestants left their own Catholic church, right, they had issues tr trying to figure out what to maintain 
as an authority, right? Because they felt that the system was corrupt. So they didn't want to take full tradition because they felt that it had been corrupted. Um, some of them decided that liturgy was still important, but what you saw was a whole bunch of random ideas. So you found some people who were still using liturgy, some people who still had some sacraments, some people who still respected the concept of clergy, some people who believed in certain traditions but not others. There became no standard basis. So the question arose of like, well, what is our authority? And they said it has to be the Bible, right? And so for them, they said it's the Bible, but they they took Bible out of the context of tradition and liturgy. And so the consequences, the next question that needed to be asked was, and how do you interpret the Bible, right? Because there are many ways to interpret the same scriptures, and that's why the church has all three, right? Is that all three of these things constitute how we receive our truths. And so because of this, when Protestants tend to, especially the evangelical branch, um, approach the Bibles, they want to treat it almost the way that the Muslims treat the Quran. Um, where they need to justify word by word in a scientific way, in a grammatical way, in every single way that this couldn't be a flaw. But that's not how we view inspiration, right? So for me, like, for example, if it's, if it's a Protestant, if they read that the light is not, like, um, that the moon is not a light, this constitutes a problem for them. So, like, some of them will go out and try and find some proof that the moon is really a light, but if we're approaching it that way, A, you look a little bit ridiculous, right? Because you're, you're trying to bend a text to match, like, an accusation or a claim. But B, you're, you're wasting your time, right? Like, if that's not what it was claiming to be in the first place, it, again, to use that analogy from earlier, it would be like somebody trying to prove that I was somehow right in saying that Kennedy was assassinated on the date when it just wasn't right. Because it's not what our claim about the Bible is. If we claim that it was dictated in such a way, then we would need to justify it. So make sure that um, you understand what we mean by inspiration um, so that you can benefit properly without being hindered by the text. The fourth thing is do and don't be um, critical. Um, and by that, I mean that questioning is perfectly fine. Um, our Lord himself encouraged critical thinking. The early church fathers did as well. But there's a difference between approaching a text with your opinion and wanting the text to approve you, okay, versus asking, what is this and what is it saying? Okay, because sometimes a person will come to the text and be like, how could God speak this way to the Pharisees? Clearly he's wrong, right? Then then you're you're approaching it wrong. Instead of saying, why is God talking to the Pharisees this way? Right? What is it that makes him do this? So many people look at this and like, oh, this is dumb. Right? I can't believe that, that this is here. This is ignorant or this is lacking. But they don't, they're not thinking critically in um, a proper way. So w ask, what is this saying? Open your mind. Okay? It's not a small thing that this, that this book has changed lives for millennia. Um, and it's not a small thing that so many prophecies could be made and come true, right? This is not a small thing. Um, in fact, if all the prophecies in the Bible were to have come true outside of the Bible, most people would be very excited. But because it's the Bible, people are like, yeah, whatever, it's, it's the Bible. But at the same time, yes, question things. Okay, ask lots of questions. Um, because the Bible isn't afraid of your questions, right? If the Bible is true, it's not, it's not worried about what you're bringing to it. 
Um, if you read commentary from many of the church fathers, they were very attuned to what today people are calling out as discrepancies. Like, so the early Christians were themselves the first to say, there's something funny about this, what do they mean? Origen, for example, Master Origen of Alexandria, he was unabashed about comparing texts. Where he's like, this doesn't make any sense to me. This by itself can't make sense, right? So he would take it, so he translated the Bible from, he had the Latin in front of him, he had the Septuagint in front of him, he had the Hebrew in front of him, just so that he could get a deeper sense. When he was stumped, he'd say, I don't know, right? But he went deeper and deeper. So even the early church fathers were not afraid of these texts. So you can bring your questions um, from these things. Questions are welcome. But couple this with the understanding of inspiration to know that we're not talking about infallible words of infallible authors. The Bible is spiritually infallible, but we don't take it as literally. Like if there's a grammatic mistake, that would be a literal mistake. We don't have an issue with such a thing. We're reading to understand the message of the Spirit and to hear the mind of God and to understand the history of the relationship with God and humanity. That's what we're trying to do. So, focus on the message, okay? When you, when you bring your, your Bible out, when first starting, focus on the message and save your hardcore analysis um, for when you've gone through the content first and understood the spirit of the Gospels. It's good to understand the context too, but just first get the message. Um, this is one of the times when you should be focused principally on what the Bible means to you personally, and we'll move above that. This is the way that God can use to communicate back to you on a personal level. Um, in prayer, you speak to God. In the Bible, you're also listening to God. So where to start and how to do it. Um, one, where to read in the Bible if you haven't for a while, go to your spiritual father. If a person hasn't for a really long time, I'm, personally I might suggest the Gospels first. Um, if you've done that a lot recently, then there might be a different way. So when you now sit and you have your Bible in front of you, first thing you should do is pray. Pray and ask God to open your mind and your heart to receive the message from what it is that you're trying to read. Don't just open at random, right? Come at it with the spirit of prayer, asking God to actually speak to you. It really does make a difference in your approach as opposed to just randomly doing a, a, a check mark on your list. So that's the first thing. The second is, it's nice to have a physical aspect um, to approaching your, your, your Bible, right? We talked before about having a prayer room, right? Or a prayer area in your room at the very least. Read your Bible there, right? Have a special place where you do your spiritual work. Use a pen and a highlighter. I still have my first Bible that I ever received, my first adult Bible that I ever received in grade three that has all of my underlinings and all of my small notes in it from the age of nine, right, all the way now for 25 years later, um, with everything in it. So it's, it becomes your own, your own history record of things that you felt and experienced, because when you go back and find your notes, it'll take you back to where you were at that time, and the, the arguments, you know, like sometimes you'll argue a verse that it works against your parents, right? Or other times you've had a bad day and there's a comforting verse. But when you've underlined it in exclamation marks and, and written stuff, when you go read it, you go back to it and you understand it in a new way and you see yourself differently and you see a different message. It's very, it's nice to make this a personal thing because it's your book. So don't be afraid to mark up your Bible. I use electronic Bibles now sometimes and I, I miss writing, right? Like the, having your own text is something very um, personal. My own opinion about electronical is that if you're going to do something electronic, 
trying to have at least an electronic device that is only for your spiritual work. Um, because the whole idea of consecration is making something belong only to God. Right? Because if you're on a device and you go from there to your work to whatever, it becomes just another thing. Right? But instead, make sure that you have something special um, for God. So use a pen, use a highlighter, underline things, scribble notes. Um, highly recommend keeping a journal. Right of, of writing out the longer stuff in it of what did you learn, what did you meditate on, how did it impact you. Um, don't lie down while you're reading. Um, like Give it its due. One of our patriarchs, um, who's incredible, St. Theonis, he was the 16th Pope of Alexandria. Um, they said of him that he would read the Bible all night long, and he would refuse to sit while he read the Bible. So he would be standing literally the whole night when he would read the Bible. So like like we might not have reached the level of Pope Theonis, but don't don't be lying down, don't be like laid back, don't like give it give it its due because you're you're interacting with, with God when you do this. Don't multitask when you are reading, right? Don't have like you're waiting for a phone call and you have something that needs to come after it. Don't have like your tea on the side. No, give it its due. Don't multitask. Show God that you are actively listening, right? And that you want to interact with him. So turn off your cell phones um, and all distractions. Then when you read, really dive into it, okay? Step into the world of, of the Gospels and understand the whole thing going on cultural context historical context everything right so in the gospels we're in roman judea after an exile after 400 years of no prophecies right if you like if you don't know these things this is where you need to learn them right to go in there and like what are the people thinking why are they interacting this way what have they been waiting for why is it a big deal when john the baptist is saying the voice of one crying in the wilderness right it's because for 400 years there has been no voice right and he's quoting isaiah Right, to give them a signal that something is coming. There's, there's a historical context, there's a spiritual context, there's a, um, a textual context. Um, all of this is important backdrop that has a meaning. Then ask yourself, who are the characters? Right? Don't, don't ignore things. Right? So when you see, like, and a, and a group of Levites came to him. If you don't know who the Levites are, find out who are the Levites. Right? Because if the Bible is bothering, if the writer is bothering to tell you this detail about them, they're telling you this because it's relevant to the story, right? Because just by saying this adjective about the person, right, or noun, you're now being like, oh, so now they're approaching with this. This is the, the priestly tribe, right? Which means that they have authority. That means that they receive from the sacrifice, which means that they have liturgical duty, which means that they're supposed to be religiously more knowledgeable, right? It would be like saying the priest today, right? So there's a, there's a big difference when someone says, if someone says, oh, a, a priest walked into a nightclub, it's completely different if somebody says some guy walked into a nightclub. Once you say a priest did, you're going to be scandalized of why is the priest doing that, right? So the word matters in terms of the stories that you can relate to the story. Who are the Pharisees, right? We've talked about that in the sermons a lot. Who are the Samaritans, right? Is like the Samaritans are like today the equivalent to, to the Church of Egypt would be probably those who converted to Islam um, when the Muslims came, but reserved some aspects of Christianity. 
Um, some people say that about the Sufi Muslims, for example, right? Of saying that like they kept something, and so those who those who are alive during that would probably be very bothered by their existence. This is why the Jews hate the Samaritans, right? Is because they remained back during the exile. They intermarried with the Babylonians, and so they saw them as traitors. And then during the return, right from Babylon, the the Samaritans kept their own thing, right? So if you if you see the name of something, if you see the name of whatever it is, look at it, right? There's maps in the back of most Bibles, right? When they name a city, look at it. If it says that Jesus walked from here to here, go take a look at it because you'll see like, oh, that's a long walk, right? Like this is a three-day journey that he just took, right? So that will give you a context to your story. He must be tired, right? The people here, like what's going on? When it says that when they were going to Samaria, they passed through whatever, if you look at the map, you'll see that the Jews used to take a route that goes like this to go to the north instead of going like this, right? And so that makes you realize, oh, there's something that he wants to do, right? They hate them this much. Knowing these things, there's just so many things. Knowing these things, stopping at these things and not just skipping over will help you benefit more because simply knowing that makes you meditate automatically in a different way, right? Because now you found out something about somebody's personality. Then I would say put yourself in the shoes of every person in the story. And as you read, think about if, if somebody said this to, to me, okay, if I'm this person, what would I think? And then think back to that person's context. Um... And if it's God speaking, then be like, okay, this is what God is saying, right? So if I'm this person before God, how is it that God would respond to me, right? Because this is how we learn about him. What is God saying here? Is this the answer? For example, if you see a scenario where, where our Lord says something to somebody, ask yourself, if somebody had said this thing to me, would I have answered what our Lord said? <laughs> would that be, have been my answer? Because if it isn't, then I don't know the word of God well, right? And I'm giving them my word. Right? I'm not giving them the word, of, or the word of God. So put yourself into these, these characters. So for example, I like using the Samaritan woman the most. Right? In the story of the Samaritan woman in the book of John, right, the lady comes to the noon at a well. Let's try and put together like this. Comes to the well at noon, not the noon at a well. Um, if we put it in, in context of everything we're just saying. right? Okay, it's the hottest time of the day. So we can get into the story, right? Like, don't just skim. So noon is Aizashem's, the, the peak of the sun, right? In, in, in the Middle East until now in the Mediterranean, many people go home, right? During this period, they don't stay out because it's burning hot, especially before people had air conditioners. That's how, how hot it gets. You could probably, like, fry eggs on the, on the pavement, okay? It gets very hot. So she is intentionally going at the most miserable time, right? Which shows that she desperately doesn't want... To interact with people, right? It gives you like a bit of a, a context, um, the historical context. She wants to avoid people. Then our Lord goes out of his way to go to a land that was forbidden for the Jews because the Jews were racist. Okay, so here we have again a historical and cultural context that's affecting the story. He gets into conversation with this woman, he's letting her talk. So he's a good listener and he's social, right? If you want to meditate on how is our Lord behaving, right? He's listening and he's social. He's not silent and like, I don't like to talk. I'm just going to sit here, right? He has a back and forth. He makes small talk with her. Um, he has a, a decent conversation. That's a meditation. Um, in fact, he started the conversation, right? 
when she says she has no husband, even though the lady is living in sin and has a rough life, right? Christ doesn't say, yeah, you sinner, right? Like, like what is his approach to the sinner, right? His approach is not condemnatory. His approach is not of like, oh, here's my opportunity to tell this person how bad they are because what if I don't have an opportunity again? Because some of us might think that, right? Some of us might be like, here's the first interaction I had to see this person. In case I never see them again, I need to let them know that what they're doing is wrong, right? But that isn't, that isn't how he went about it. He did care about her knowing, right? But that's not how that he did it. Um, in fact, he praises her for telling her the truth and says, good job, you told the truth. When you said you have no husband, that's true, right? So he acknowledges even in somebody who's living wrongly, something good. Right? He's like, okay, no, this is good for you that you're being honest. Because she could have very easily just to save herself the headache and to save herself the reaction, just said, yeah, 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 I'll go get him. And either not come back or just brought him back and presented him as the husband if she really felt like it and not bothered. But she did it. Right? So our Lord is looking at and saying, meditate on this person where they're at. Right? Would I have done that? Okay, but this is how she reacted. So we can see about this lady that she's honest. Right? We can see about this lady that she's struggling. We can see about this lady that she's an addict. Right? There's all these things. So that when I'm meditating, I can say, where am I an addict? Okay? Because we're all addicts. Okay? So where, what am I addicted to? Am I honest even about my addiction? At least this lady is honest about her addiction. When I'm honest about my addiction, how does God deal with me? Right? Versus somebody who covers up their sins, which you'll see in other stories. Right? By putting yourself into it. Right? You get to see all this stuff. So ask yourself, would I have thought that about our Lord? Like, is this what, if somebody were to tell me, okay, here's your scenario, sinner comes to the well, what do you do? Right? Would I have presumed or would I have expected that to be God's reaction? Right? Actively ask yourself um, those questions. Um, he's not saying, like we said, you're living in sin, that's terrible, repent before you go to hell. Right? He's, he's praising her. And then even after he prays her telling the truth, he chills with her. He just sits together and he, he's like more laid back and he's having a conversation. Um, and actually gets into theological discussion with her, right? Like which you probably no one would have expected. And what's the end result? She goes and brings the whole town back, right? Because of the joy and love that she felt. So she goes in and she's like, okay, no, you guys... The same lady that was petrified of these people is like, everybody come out. We need to meet. Um, you need to meet this person who told me um, everything. So that teaches you how people leave their encounters with Christ. It's not in misery. Again, meditation. I'm trying to break this down of here's these different segments and how they go together. Um, then meditate some more. Okay. Why would the town listen to some sinner woman? Right. They have lives. They, she's a basket case to them. Right. But they listened. Would you today listen to some random person that runs into the work and say, guys, check out this guy that I met today, this is crazy, but, and insert some supernatural thing here, right? Would you listen? Would you go out? Would you go see it? Or would you just kind of like throw it all away? Because if you would, then you'll, you'll think like, well, then why did they listen to this woman, right? Like what, what was so compelling about it? So again, really get into the story. And don't just read superficially and say, yeah, that's nice, right? Where you just read the story, mm -hmm, that's really nice, Jesus loves, loves sinners, close book, right? If you don't actively go in, right, and, and start meditating on it, you're not going to see what to take. 
You're not going to learn enough about who he is. Um, so get deep, reflect, meditate. Uh, meditate. Like in other stories, they ask Jesus about paying taxes, right? Because they test him by getting political. And he says, he didn't say, oh, yeah, yeah, we don't do that. Christians don't do that, right? Or, or my people don't need to do that. I'm, I'm the king, right? Instead, he says, no, give them what's due, right? Like this is what God is saying to us, right? Because sometimes maybe in your work, right, there might be something to say, well, I don't know. I'm going to cut this corner because like whatever. Whereas Christ is saying, no, that's not okay. If your duty is to do this thing, then you do your thing, right? You give them, his, you get, you pay your taxes what your taxes are, are doing. So yes, you're a believer, but you're also a citizen, right? You can get lots of concepts um, out of this. So that's just an example of how to go about it. Next, meditation, application, and frequency. When you're done, after you've read, don't just slam the book shut, right? And be like, okay, done Bible, what's next? right? Close your Bible. Sit quietly for a little bit. Think about what you have read and ask yourself, how can I apply a principle from what I've read to how I live, right? Something real, something tangible. I recommend even saying, I'm going to do this for a whole week, at the very least for a week. For example, if you read the Samaritan Woman that day, um, then I can say, all right, I'm going to be more welcoming to people, even people that I, I'm not usually welcoming to. Okay? Our Lord went out of his way to talk to this person. He actually, at, at personal expense, right, because he looked like a horrible person in the Jewish culture for doing what he's doing. So maybe I will actively look for that person that nobody likes to talk to. I'll text that person that nobody texts. I'll have lunch with the person who sits by herself or by himself. Right, is to say I'm gonna physically do something to apply this principle that I that I've read, and I'm gonna do it X number of times. Write it down into your journal, right, and and put a reminder on your phone, right, every morning. Be like text so and so, sit with so and so, do whatever it is, so that you don't forget, because what you're doing is letting the Word of God change you, and if you let the Word of God change you, then the Holy Spirit grows within you. And when the Holy Spirit grows within you, you get more grace, right? It's all synergistic. You only end up growing, right? Then you become having more discernment, right? Then you can see more actively the Word of God. And then what you start to find is that God starts to respond to you very clearly through your Bible reading because it's something that's become alive to you. Many, many, many people, when they're asking for God's Word, for those who are very devout and, and religious and they're and disciplined in their spiritual lives, will tell you that one of the biggest places for God's responses to them is in their regular reading of the, of the gospel. Not of random reading, not of I just have a problem today and I'm going to open it, right? But the ones who read regularly, they'll find that words are just jumping off the page, right? Giving them what they, what they need. Um, try and be honest with the Bible. Don't read it for a day and then stop. Read it daily. I would suggest trying and reading at the same time each day um, so that it doesn't become an afterthought, that it's an active part of your life where it's fixed, where this doesn't change, this is my priority, right? That I do this first no matter what. So I tend to tell people, try and attach it to something consistent in your life, right? If you always eat at the same time, then always make it after 
like your dinner or before whatever it is going to be but don't try and overly limit your time with it right otherwise you're the one who's going to lose right like give it the time that it's due doing this will let the saints the bible guide you um you'll find characters speaking out of who you are and it will teach you to pray right because if you are actually asking the question of who is god right how did he reveal himself here well, when you stand to pray, you know more about this person that you're praying to, right? And you'll be able to identify with characters with whom that you've read, right? You might be able to say, like, Lord, I'm not like the centurion, right, who is able to trust you and say, you don't even have to come. You can just fix it from where you are. I'm more like the guy who came to you and said, help my unbelief, okay? So take me where I'm at. Right? It gives you a place of dialogue because you're able to relate to somebody that you read about. And it gives you a place to interact with him because you know that he accepted both of them. Right? So you know this about him. You've learned something about his personality. Right? You know if you're judging, you're going to feel awkward in his presence because you know how much he doesn't like judging. Right? You'll know um, when you're broken that you're going to find consolation if it's not an ego. Because those who came to Christ with true humility only left comforted, right, without any exception, right? So as you find out these things about him, you will grow in your prayer life. Um, there's a great hermit, Abu um, Amina al-Ma'eri, um, Father Mina of St. Macarius Monastery. He's been a hermit for, I think, 50-something years now. Um, I had the blessings of meeting him on my last trip. Um, his smile, like, raises you to heaven. It's something else. Um, and he was giving us advice. It was me and a couple of monks, um, and he was saying, when you read the Bible, have a, a, a little notebook with you. Um, and he's like, not for your meditations. Take verses from what you read and say it back to him as praise. Turn what you read into the prayer, right? He was like, if you, if you saw that he was patient on somebody, be like, oh, Lord, you are so patient, you who did this, right? He was like, teach it to become your prayer. You'll find that it dwells in you. And obviously it worked because he is who he is. Um, and most of us are nowhere um, near that. And it will help you in your hard days, right? If you fall hard, for example, you'll take refuge in people like King David, who fell hard even though he was in a good position with God, right? Learn how to do it. It'll help you with your repentance. It helps you with your prayer, and it'll help you with your repentance. Um, and... It will give you the discernment now when people attack your God or attack your faith, not that we need to live defensively. You're not going to be bothered by it because you know who your God is, right? If somebody were to come and be like, oh, they're saying this and this and this about so-and-so or about me or about anyone, no problem. All I care about is if it's true, right? If it's true and I'm doing something wrong, I need to fix it, right? If it's true about so-and-so, then that person needs to fix it. I don't need to fix it. But I'm not going to be troubled or worked up or have doubts because I've met this person so I know who they are better than this person who's bringing the accusation so it will also solidify um, your own understanding of God finally is interpretation okay so what we've been talking about is meditation there's a difference between meditation and interpretation um, for interpretation this is where you need patristic texts. Okay, This is where you need to look at the fathers and how they approach the Bible so you can understand the spirit of how to approach um, the texts. Right. So, for example, when you look at the verse that says, unless a man is born of water and spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of heaven. 
right? You have a whole tradition saying, no, he meant that just like spiritually, right? And so you don't need to baptize. And then you have another church saying, no, you must baptize. So then who's interpreting correctly, right? So this is why we go back to the fathers and say, how did they approach it? Why? Because they were the eyewitnesses, right? They were received it from as close to possible from the source that is in human capacity. And in some cases, directly from the Lord himself, right? So some of them actually were firsthand. Others were the disciples of those people. So what they say is a big deal, right? Because how can I say, for example, 1600 years after the fact, no, 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 this isn't what he meant. But if I look at the first century and say, well, these are the people who knew our Lord Jesus in the flesh, and they were doing it like this, right? Then there's merit in doing it like this. Because if he meant it like, aha, lol, I didn't mean that, right? Then he would have told his disciples, right? Because he was with them for 40 days after the resurrection. And yet all of his disciples continued to baptize and insisted on it. They even insisted on doing it in the case of Cornelius and that whole household when they had that bizarre occurrence where the Holy Spirit came before they were baptized. And the disciples still said, baptize. We don't, we don't know what this is, but <laughs> go baptize, right? So for interpretation, interpretation, we need to go back and ask, what did the church say about this? How did the church as a whole interpret scripture? Because if I start to apply personal interpretation versus personal meditation, then I get into trouble, right? Then I start making up my own personal doctrines and my own personal creed. Um, and I no longer am trying to get the spirit of it. I'm applying my spirit to it. So we need to be careful um, of that. So I hope that's enough to get people started. Um, and there are many ways to do it. If you're doing it a different way, that's fine. But I'm just saying, have a method, right? When you do it, don't be arbitrary or random when you approach the Bible. Approach it with like with depth, and you'll find yourself growing in the spiritual life. We want to thank you so much for listening to St. Basil's podcast. We hope that you have gained spiritually from our remarkable speakers, and we appreciate your support towards this podcast. St. Basil American Coptic Orthodox Church is looking to purchase a home, and we would love for you to be a part of our community. We are looking to raise funds towards this novel mission, Orthodoxy in an American Context within the San Diego area. You may donate online through our website, www.stbasil.net that's www.stbasil.net or click on the link below when it will take you to our donations page you may also mail in your contribution at the address located on our website we thank you for any contribution and may our lord jesus christ always bless your heart and home